When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back, Owen. Yes, it is. We're talking Q&A. We've got some questions. We're going to offer some answers, general, of course, uh, and we love to hear from you. So send in your questions. Would you believe it in the podcast player right in front of you? If you're on Spotify, if you're listening in your car, maybe don't click it now, but you can select the button that says ask a question. It's right there in your podcast player and you can select the Australian Finance Podcast. Yes, we're answering questions on every podcast these days. Yes. (laughs) So property, business, finance, investing, we've got you covered. Who who knew that people wanted answers to financial questions? It's kind of crazy. I know, a bit of a revelation. (laughs) A bit of a revelation. But we do have um, the ability to ask financial advisors, mortgage brokers, property coaches, accountants, heck, even lawyers. If you want answers to questions, we can dial them in and we can bring them in for an episode to answer your questions. So please write into us. Let us know what's on your mind. We can't offer specific advice. So two things we like when you do send in your questions. Number one is give us a funny name or just a generic name. Number two, just give us the information that is relevant to the question because we don't and we can't take into account your personal situation, your needs, goals, or objectives. Just give us the generalized question and we'll try and answer what we can. Uh, if we do answer these questions say again, we don't know your circumstances, even if we do have some names thrown in, just let us, let, we just want to let you know that you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional. If you do need to find a financial advisor, there is a link in your podcast player next to the one that says ask a question. 
that says financial planning. You can click that and get matched with a financial planner. That's it, Kate. All the fun stuff's out of the way. All the fun stuff is out of the way. <laughs> Chat asks the first question. All right. This question's all about getting started. So the question is, I'm currently building my emergency fund and then on towards either saving for a house deposit or continue renting and starting to invest in ETFs. Is there a suggested roadmap for the free courses? And I'll just add in here that we have on risk education. That's mm -hmm. what I took away from this question. Mm -hmm. That can give me good fundamental knowledge while I save that once my emergency fund is complete, I can then seek out a financial advisor and make an informed decision for which direction I go in. Thank mm. you. Yeah, great. So you worked with Tash Invests, um, Natasha Iceman, and uh, we created a series called The Road Trip. Yes, The Rest Road Trip. That's six courses and it takes you in the direction that we think is quite helpful to start in from the basics of building wealth. It talks you through emergency funds, saving, budgeting, tax investing, tax. Yeah, psychology. Super. Yeah, so that that road trip will take you from one course to the next. So that will be a, a quite a good starting point mm. if money and investing is new to you. And then I think the ETF, um, mm. ETF investing course is probably the next place to go. I would yep. say. And then finally, the one I'd go for after that is the property course. And the the six road trip courses. Key thing about this on our website is that. They're designed to be finished in one sitting. So they're not like huge courses. They just give you the need to know information of that topic and then you move on. And that's what makes them so great is you kind of just get the crash course uh, as you go through the road trip uh, and then you can move on into some of the other courses like the one on ETFs is a bit more comprehensive. It might take you an hour or two, for example. Um, and the property course is probably another step up again, but it takes you through literally everything you want to know as a first home buyer. Uh, including things like saving for a deposit, how much you need, how to buy a property, what to look for, these types of things. So you've kind of got it all there. And then when you're ready, you can see a financial advisor. You can investigate websites like Money Smart or the ATO website um, because they may have things like you know the tax advantages for the first home super saver scheme or whatever the case may be. Uh, and you can find a financial advisor using the Money Smart website or you can jump onto the RASC website um, or in your show notes, there's a link there to get matched with one. So that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. But I think it is fantastic to do all this learning while you're saving for your house deposit because mm. it might, for many of us, take quite a few years to save for that first home deposit. So use that time to learn as much as you can, ask questions, talk to a mortgage broker early, go and inspect properties and look at different suburbs and see what yeah, you're interested get excited. in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like keep yourself motivated. Go to those auctions, see how they work, see what the agents are doing, and just Window shop, you know, it's a mm. good part of getting that experience. But while, you, while you're there, you're doing the right things in terms of you want to keep learning because if you learn it all now, say in the next year or two, all this stuff about finance, you've got that for the rest of your life. And I think that's what people underestimate. Like the, the learning will compound for the rest of your life as much as the money does too. Yeah. So Charlie asked a question. Um, it's about getting paid. Do you receive the same amount of money from dividends with ETFs as you would with direct shares? And are there any downsides with ETFs? Well, there are some downsides, Kate, but can you just describe generally how it works? Like what can people expect if they invest in an ETF? Yeah. So like when I invest in a company, if I invest in a large Australian company, many of them choose to pay out a dividend. So they pay out some of their profits to me. If I own the company, I'm mm -hmm. a shareholder and I get to receive some of the profits, which is great. Now, if I own an ETF and it owns companies in that basket that pay out dividends to mm -hmm. investors, 
then I get that passed through to me. It's just a little bit more cleaner. So the ETF collects all of those payments from the companies and pays it out two or four times a year to you as an ETF investor. So it's a lot cleaner. Otherwise, you might get 100 different payments into your bank account each year, and that would be quite a mess and a yes. headache at tax time. So ETF really cleans things up for you, and you get a tax statement at the end of the year. Um, I think from the positive side of ETFs, it makes investing very simple at the beginning, especially. There are ETFs that do everything, so you can invest in complicated ETFs. The ETFs we talk about on the finance podcast are usually more simple ones that are investing in Australian companies and US companies, and they'll make your life simpler. So you can build a, a portfolio with just a few ETFs involved. I like it. Um, are there downsides? Yeah, there are. We'll talk about that a bit more in the next one when we talk about Kevin's question about VDHD, but there are. Uh, one is that you basically, for most ETFs that we talk about here, as you said on the Australian Finance Podcast, we basically talk about diversified ETFs, like ETFs that just kind of buy 300 Australian shares or 200 Australian shares or 500 US shares. Like They kind of like blanket the market, which are the great ETFs for the core of your portfolio. But um, one of the things that happens with them is um, if you're a high income tax earner, you don't have control of your tax situation. So as Kate was saying, um, all of the dividends get passed through the ETF and then back to the end investors and you get your tax statement, um, say from August onwards at the end of the year. But what happens is as you get a bigger and bigger balance, normally if you were to buy, say, BHP shares directly, you don't pay tax if you don't receive a dividend or until you sell. But with an ETF, you don't have control over what happens inside of that ETF. So you still may be responsible for some of the tax that happens inside the ETF. And that has pros and cons for certain people. Like some people like deferring tax and just holding on to their shares and not having to pay tax until the future. Others are happy to do the ETF route and just pay the tax as they go, so to speak. Yeah. So there's pros and cons. Um, but it actually relates to the next question that we got from Kevin, Kate. Yes. So Kevin's question says, I currently invest in VDHG as my only investment and I'm thinking about adding VHY so I can get more income. Is this a wise move? Yes, yeah, so obviously, Kevin, we can't tell you what's right for your situation. Um, but, but generally, we have this question a lot. Yeah, and we, I think we should start by talking about what these ETFs are. Yeah, okay, great. So VDHD is one of the most popular ETFs in Australia. It stands for the Vanguard Diversified High Growth ETF. And as the name suggests, it's focused on growth. There are alternatives to this one from Vanguard. There is the uh, balanced one. There is a conservative one. And there is just the growth one. So not high growth, but growth. But this one is by far the most popular, VDHG. And the reason it is popular is because people see it as an all-in-one ETF. Basically, what happens is when you buy into VDHG using your Perla, sponsor of the show, Comsec, self-wealth account, whatever stake, whatever trading account you're using to buy this ETF, when you buy into it, what happens is Vanguard effectively takes your money and then invests it in a bunch of other funds underneath it. So with one investment, you get a bunch of other funds. And 90% of those funds or 90% of your money will go into strategies that invest in shares, basically. And the other 10% is in defensive investments. So think of it like bonds, uh, if you take sort of like an international approach. And so you get a 90-10 portfolio. So it's geared to growth. Um, now, what happens is as people get older, they tend to go, well, 90% in growth and 10% in defensive was good while I was accumulating assets and while I was working and while I was focused on growth. But as I approach retirement, I think I want more passive income. I want my portfolio to now start supporting me. So people have a choice. They can either sell 
VDHG, either all of it or some of it, and incur some tax, and then go into a more balanced option. Or they can start adding more defensive or income-focused options five years out, say five mm. to 10 years out, so that by the time they do reach retirement, they've got more income blended in there. Now, in this instance, VHY is the most popular option for investors who are seeking income from shares because all it does is it takes your money, same as before, you buy it the same way, but all it does is it takes your money and invests in approximately 75 of the top dividend paying shares in the country. So it excludes companies that don't pay a dividend and focuses on the companies that do pay a dividend um, amongst Australian shares. So it's good for franking credits. It's good for people that are seeking passive income. But I want to be very clear here that these things aren't perfect. So VHY is a good retiree style investment. But for most Australians, the simple thing is just to go with an all-of-market ETF. So like VAS or A200 from BetaShares or IOZ from uh, iShares because it's the total return that matters. So let me just be clear here. Total return is the growth that you get plus your income. Um, and the idea is that the total return adds those both up and that's how you should compare ETFs is total return because it shouldn't matter whether it's income or growth. As long as you get the money, it doesn't really matter, right? I just think psychologically it's very hard to sell some of your investments to create that income stream, isn't it? It is. And that, so a lot of behavioral finance experts, we had um, Simon Russell on the show uh, earlier this year and he's like, this is great, like behavioral bias that people have in retirement where they think they have to get a monthly paycheck from their Telstra shares or from their investment property or from their whatever. Hmm. But at the end of the day, with shares and ETFs, it's so much different. You can just sell a portion of it, and sometimes it's actually more tax-effective than receiving the income. Now, I actually think that this combination is quite good, even though I just said that you pro most people would probably be better off with just VAS or A200 or one of those. But for people in retirement, VHY actually makes sense. And it's a bit technical, but the basic reason is people in retirement can benefit from franking credits more so than people who are accumulating assets and not in retirement mode yet. Now, that's that means that when they receive a dividend, they actually get the tax credit, which is called a franking credit. And so that actually benefits them. Whereas, say, some investors aren't always eligible for franking credits for whatever reason, and sometimes they just want it to be reinvested again and again and again. So VHY is my pick of the bunch for retirees, for dividend investing, but I wouldn't just use VHY. Um, in this case, I've, they're blending VDHG and VHY. And that's kind of like the level two thinking. If we go to level three and I just get a little bit more technical for just a moment, we recently had Balaji Gopal from Vanguard on the show. And he said that it was quite interesting. It was very candid actually. And I was really um, pleased to hear him say this. But if they kind of had their time again, I reckon what I was inferring from his words were, they would have made VDHG out of ETFs, not out of managed funds. Because when you invest in VDHG, you get managed funds underneath. But if you had instead got ETFs underneath, you could have transferred some in and out, which then would have meant that people who are long-time investors in VDHG could transfer out some of the shares and get a more balanced portfolio at the end of the day. And I think that might happen in the future, which is pretty good. But yes, towards retirement, Investors can start adding VHY. As you said, there's a big behavioral bias that they don't want to sell mm -hmm. a winner or they don't want to sell something to get the income, but that is an option too. At the end of the day, when you tick over into retirement mode, your tax situation changes. 
But until then, you will be liable for certain tax, not just Kevin in this instance, but everyone listening and watching. Yeah. Um, That's know, probably why people do still opt to build their own ETF portfolio rather than choosing an all-in-one solution like BDHG is because you mm-hmm. do have more flexibility, especially as you build wealth over time. It doesn't really matter with the first $1,000, but once you have a million dollars, well, maybe you want a bit more flexibility than just having 100% of your money in BDHG. Absolutely, Kane. Thanks for bringing it back to that because that's what we see in the data as well. When we see... Um, when we see the transaction size with VDHG, it's typically around four to five thousand dollar purchases. So this is a core ETF. Like it's, it just sits right in the middle of your core, boring, just does its thing portfolio. And so it's a great ETF for that. But we see smaller parcel sizes, and that's reflective of investors slowly just adding some in. Like if the average is four thousand, that means there are a lot at ten thousand and a lot at one thousand. Like, yeah. Um, and so people are just slowly dollar cost averaging into VDHG. But you're right, as portfolio balances get bigger, people do want to take one more step and say, okay, I'm comfortable with investing, listen to enough of the Rask podcast to know that I could probably build a pretty sensible diversified portfolio myself. So I'm just going to take these building blocks and put them all together. And then I'm going to check in by myself or with my financial advisor every three months or six months or year and rebalance it. And you do that yourself. And that gives you control over the tax. It also gives you more control as you head towards retirement, what you're actually going to be doing. Um, The the reason why I don't want to be too strong with that and say that that's the better way to build a portfolio is because a lot of new investors probably should start with VDHG. And if they come on to the podcast, this is their first podcast, and they hear you and I go, well, you probably get more flexibility out of doing it yourself then they might be put off buying VDHD in the first instance. But I think for the f- newer investors, for people that are building out their portfolio, VDHD is absolutely fantastic. Um, and that's, again, reflected in the data. But then over time, as people approach retirement, they start they want to probably break things mm. apart and want to have more flexibility. Your advisor probably wants more flexibility. So that's why they may not always be perfect. Yeah, And you can build things around or prune. Yeah, Good question, though. That's a great question because we get it a lot. Um, and yeah, it's great. We've got a lot more, Kevin. I don't know if you're a member of ours, but, um, you know, you can get a, a brass membership and we cover all of those questions in detail. And also we like you show people how we build model portfolios. Yeah. And you've done research on VDHG within that, haven't you? Oh yeah. Heaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can get the, yeah. the full analyst write up on how VDHG works and also how to build your own ETF portfolio as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you can go and check that out. Um, there's a link in the show notes. Next one. All right. Next question is from Birdie. Something a little bit different to investing, which is nice. Yes, it is nice. What is something that's easy and achievable to start the financial journey, a small day-to-day habit? What do you reckon? I think for me, it was at the very beginning, it was just checking what I was spending each day. I wasn't writing it down, but I was just having a glance and sort of coming to terms of where was my money going every day? Because that was my realization at the very start of my journey after working full-time for six months when I was 18 years old is that I hadn't saved any money. I got, I did my very first tax return for the first six mm. months of my working life and I realized I'd earned some money, but I had nothing in the bank account. And so my very first step I took was just checking in with what I was spending each day and going, is that actually where I want to spend my money? At the very beginning, I didn't have an emergency fund. I didn't have investments. So that was the very first habit that I built. So now I don't check in as much, which is probably to my detriment because there was quite a few Amazon purchases the other day. Yeah. 
You know what? I think this is such a good question from Birdie. I like that. Um, I, you know, my fitness pal. Yeah. That's like one thing that I can never break. I was like going to bed last night and I was like, I was pretty much already asleep. And then I realized that I hadn't done my fitness pal. And I was like instantly awake, straight over to the bedside table, put this in, go back to sleep. Yeah. And it's got to that point, like the they say the chains of habit too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. And it is too heavy to be broken. For me, every single day, I've got to do my fitness pal. And my life coach always tells me that the easiest way to build a new habit is to just stack on top of the one that you've just formed. So now it's like journaling. So start with one thing, which was in this instance, a health related fitness thing, and then journaling, which is more mindfulness, build on top of that. And that can be very simple for me. That would be having the journal beside the bed, but it, I also have this like a little card um, and it's got like, when did you practice um, like reflection today? When did you practice mindfulness? When did you practice? And you just think of those moments in your day and that's a habit that you kind of build on top. Now, if we take the finance lesson here with Kate's uh, example of savings and just checking to see where money's going, maybe once you've done that, um, maybe you can then build something around that. So for example, if you catch the train to work, you might just quickly just go and see, okay, what's my bank balance today? What did I spend money on? Um, and then maybe for the first you know, couple of weeks, you might say, well, if I find one thing in my savings routine, is there a way to save money? So for the next, you know, on your way into the city, if you, if you commute into the city or, you know, I spent you know, $7 on lunch yesterday or whatever it was. That's probably pretty cheap these days. Yeah, that's very cheap, but yeah, maybe, probably $15 yeah, on $15. lunch. $15. Was there a way that I could save? Yeah. Can I... Tra or even when you do that, you transfer $5 to your saving account. Yeah. Perfect. Or even things like that are automated, like roundup features. I think it's quite helpful at the start of your finance journey to learn the skill. So mm. if you have everything running in the background, you might not learn the behavior. So yeah. I would say like roundup features, well, maybe you manually do it for a few weeks and you just transfer some money into your savings account to learn that skill. And then you can automate it in the background. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Automate all the things is kind of what I thought about. Um, saw this one, uh, and there are some things you shouldn't automate, right? We've we've discussed those things like car insurance, things like those big yearly bills. You yeah. have to get more money um, by actually shopping around once a year rather than automating the payment. And then probably a habit that's helped me with my finances, my career is just using the time on the train to work. So when I was yeah. working five days a week in the city, every morning I would, I knew I'd be exhausted at the end of the day and just want to listen to podcast or something trashy. But yeah. <laughs> on the way into work, I'd listen to a podcast, I'd work, I'd read a book, I'd listen to a course or something like that that was going to help me with my career, my finances, something positive for my my own growth and those small moments it might just be half an hour each day but they add up over time i'm thinking um people listening to this would be like kate listens to something trashy uh, <laughs> on the train but it's so true right like, yeah that's the best time usually like podcasts about financial frauds <laughs> <laughs> like very sensationalized to drama <laughs> um, which is not that trashy at all but it's um it's probably a learning thing anyway but it's true right there is something in your routine that you may be able to just jump on top of and for me too i when i used to commute into the city basically every day it was it sounds mine is horrible um learning the chartered financial analyst which is a really tough finance exam uh, that's an exam that I wouldn't want to take a lot of time out of my social life 
to study for, but I knew I was on the train anyway. And that's why I actually love the train these days is because it's actually my time where I feel okay to learn. Like on the train this morning, it's okay to listen to Shane Parrish's audio book that I got through Audible um, or to jump on Spotify and listen to a podcast like this because one, it's free with my Spotify subscription, um, but two, I can do it and there's really no friction involved. Number three, I don't have to act on it. Like there's no commitment. Like I don't have to do anything after listening to this episode. Sure, we're going to talk about VDHD or how do you do this and habit and that, but you, most people won't do anything and that's fine. But at least you've got the knowledge so you can build that habit of accumulating that knowledge through time. And eventually, like when we were in, I think it was, when we were in Brisbane, um, a lovely lady, I cannot remember her name, said she'd been listening to the podcast for years and never invested. And then finally, you know, just recently she'd invested and it felt amazing. So she went for years kind of building the habit of learning about finance and getting comfortable, just listening, just listening. That's all the commitment was. And then finally pulled the trigger and felt great about it. And that's the interesting thing. At the very start of your finance journey, you might be someone that's always said, investing something that someone else does or I'm not good with money. And so part of adding these small habits is reframing your identity. I mean, read James Clear's Atomic Habits if you want to learn more about how to form habits and mm. sort of create sticky change. But finding ways to slowly reframe who you are and it will take time. It'll probably take a few years even after you've invested to feel like an investor, because if you've always seen investing as something other people do and not what you do, it'll take a while. But just mm. putting yourself in the room, if you can find someone in your life, in your workplace, online, maybe a meetup group, there's financial independence meetup groups in most states, but putting yourself in situations where you're with other people that have the identity of managing their money well, being an investor, putting things in place for their future, that will slowly help you make change. It's not going to happen instantly, but it start. Part of that identity change as well. Yeah. I think um, speaking of listening to a podcast this morning, an audio book this morning on the way into the city, I was listening to Shane Parrish's book, Clear Thinking, and I'm going to butcher it, but he basically said the high-performing people hang around with people with high standards or they have high standards. And the idea is that by just simply by being around other people and putting yourself in the environment, you, um, you can form a habit by just osmosis like you just absorb it from them and uh, we had Steve Sammartino on the show not too long ago and he said one of the best things you can do to you know grow is just to change places yeah. remember that he just literally right. said if you want to you know eat healthy <laughs> go to the fruit and veg section right literally change spaces if you want to you know grow as an individual in your career go hang around the people that are doing that as well like go yeah. to that part of the office if you want to start thinking about your future and setting goals if you're with people that just want to live 100 in the moment and think you're crazy for trying to think about your future mm. then maybe you need to add a few more people or find some different places to be in or join some other groups you don't have to cut one side out but you just need to add a few changes and the thing about that is like a lot of those social interactions actually bond us because it's like a forced reason to be recurring mm. with something. Like a lot of sports clubs are like this. We were talking about this the other day. It's like the loneliness pandemic in Australia. I loved being part of a footy club and a soccer club growing up because it wasn't so much that I loved playing, like kicking a ball around. It's actually just every Tuesday or every Wednesday you'd have to go. Every weekend you'd have to go because it's a commitment that you've made and you formed a habit of being social. And I think that was kind of like inadvertently a great way to form bonds and build relationships. So maybe there's a way you can do that with finance. Maybe you can join one of those groups. Maybe you can listen to this podcast until you're ready to go and have a conversation with a friend. 
um, or start that with your, your partner. But there are definitely things you can do every day, five minutes on the train while you go to gym. Um, you don't have to do it for the whole time. If you want to switch it off, that's fine. And Morgan Housel, I remember listening to the author Morgan Housel had this great interview that he did with um, with Patrick O'Shaughnessy on Invest Like the Best podcast. He said, a lot of people think like when they get a book that if they've got 20 pages and they have to keep reading. He said, one of the best things I do is I just burn the book, like not literally burn the book, but I just like <laughs> burn it, move on. Yeah. You know, move to Give a Give it to one. someone else. Yeah. Move, just if I don't get, like it in the first 10 pages, I just move on. So why would I kind of force myself to do that? Just keep moving and keep getting that feedback loop of positivity. Um, it's a great question, Bertie. Uh, if you do have any suggestions of your own, please let us know on Spotify or on Instagram or wherever you get your social media. We'd love to know about building habits. I do have the Atomic Habits book at home, which I plan to read this summer. Getting out. This is Sarah P's question, Kate. All right. What exit strategies are there? It's all about starting, but what about the wind down or exit from... Are we keeping the money in the market or leaving it to our beneficiaries? Haven't heard or read anything. So curious to hear what you have to say. Sarah, we talk a lot about retirement, um, giving, uh, estate planning over on our Australian Investors podcast with a lot of the retirement financial advisors that we speak to there. So I'd encourage you to go check that out. Um, the reality is most of the content that you will see in Australia at the moment is geared towards people who are accumulating assets. Yeah, and getting people to take that first step because that's such a hurdle for so many people. Absolutely. And frankly, 26, 27 million people in Australia, most of those people are still accumulating assets and they're wanting to deploy their capital. But some people are thinking with the end in mind. Um, and that's called estate planning. And so easily the best place to go for that is a financial advisor who can help you structure that in advance, particularly if you've got a large superannuation balance and so on and so forth. Now, if the exit strategy for you from here, Sarah, or for anyone listening is not necessarily you know, six foot under type of thing. Maybe the exit strategy is what happens when I go from working life to retirement life, these types of things. There is a plethora of information out there. Let's just run through some of the essentials. Before you get to retirement age, you want to be aware of things like transfer caps into uh, superannuation. Uh, so basically, this is the limit that you can go before there are some sort of tax penalties where you can transfer into pension or into retirement mode within super. Um, you want to also know do you want your money inside or outside super as a majority? You know, there are rules of thumb that some people will want more of their money in super for the tax benefits, but outside gives them comfort if the tax rules change for super. As you get forward to retirement, a lot of people have already cycled off investment properties and they've moved most of their money across the super or across to the share market. Simply because it's more liquid, it's easier to manage. There's no, you know, tenants and these types of things. Uh, if you've got a business, you want to plan well in advance and get advice from a trusted accountant and maybe even a lawyer who can help you transfer some of those assets. A good financial advisor who understands business will also talk about some of the small business incentives. There are some truly stupendously wonderful options for people who own a business that want to transfer their money to super or out of the business tax effectively. Some wonderful strategies, but you need to find financial advisors who are across those. Um, in terms of beneficiaries, there was an interesting AFR article not too long ago, Kate, that showed... Some people, in fact, a lot of people, are actually dying with more money than they entered retirement with because they don't spend it. So they're so scared of their retirement balance going down that they don't spend any of it. And then they don't go on the European riverboat cruise. They don't go and visit the pyramids of Giza or what, whatever their case may be. You know, they don't go and take that up and they don't live in the moment when they deserve to. Yeah. 
And so, you know, there's many different ways to combat that. It's like joining groups, maintaining that purpose, working part-time so you feel comfortable as you transition. And finally, in the lead up to retirement, it's just make sure you've got your emergency fund. Like it's, we talk about investing, just have that emergency fund because I don't want to scare anyone, but when you transition to retirement, it is the, probably the riskiest financial time in your life because you you could transition at a time when you're dependent on money for the first time and that could be risky for you. So make sure you have the cash before you get to the moment of, oh, I'm going to retire today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so have that cash buffer there. But that would probably be some of the major rocks that people can turn over to see what's available to them. And what about exiting if we're not thinking about retirement or passing away? We're just thinking, okay, we've been investing for 10 years. Maybe now we really want to buy a property. Yeah. And we're thinking about selling some of our investments. Yeah, absolutely. So you want to think two to three years in advance for that, um, depending on the size of the balance. If, you're, if you've been in property and you're cycling out, that's probably a bigger question because it's typically a bigger balance and it involves debt and it, timing does come into it, like when you sell the property and interest rates and all that. So you want to be planning five plus years in advance for that. Like a good example of this is Aussie Firebug community. You can see how he's slowly doing that. Um, but you can see the unwinding of that is actually quite intensive in terms of tax, in terms of frictional costs with selling property and the lead time. But if you're, say, transitioning to buying a property, the balance isn't as big. Typically, a deposit isn't as big. Mm. But the key thing is, and we always harp on about this, is don't have that money invested when you need it. It's just a bit of, bit of forethought. Because you could have had your money in the market last year, in 2022, and you've watched your NASDAQ ETF fall 30%, and you had all your money in there, and you thought, oh, I was going to buy a property this year, and now my 100 grand's become 70, and I can't do it anymore. So you don't want to let that massive financial goal be derailed by something that's out of your control, which yeah. is the stock market return. So... Two to three years planning, yeah. Um, but this is great. We can actually do a whole other episode on this, Sarah, and if I didn't answer your question or give you ideas, that was basically my only purpose, um, we will put it to financial advisors. There are some tremendous strategies in the lead up to retirement, for example, around what we call recontribution strategies and maxing out the $27,500 to put into super. All wonderful strategies, all have tax benefits. If you've got under 500 grand in super balance, there's so many options a good financial planner can help you with. And you've covered some already on the Investors Podcast. In the Investors Podcast, yeah. yeah. And we're having more financial planning content coming to you in 2024. So you can send your questions in. And if you need to get in contact with a financial advisor, you can now do that via the show notes. Um, no matter what stage of life you're at, whether you're young, uh, whether you're you know approaching retirement, whether you're fully in retirement, whether you're a business owner, you can get all of that um, through us these days. So uh, you can check that out. But we are taking questions for the retirement financial advice over on the Investors Podcast as well. Um, yeah, I think that takes us through. So we've spoken about getting out, the habits, uh, VDHG and blending that, um, how you can try to get paid with your ETFs, passive income, is it the same? And how to get started with our free courses, Kate. A lot of fun. A lot in there. And I think there'll be a lot of resources in the show notes as well. I'll hunt down those podcasts I want to mention. So uh, mm. if you want to learn more about retirement and exit strategies, you can find resources there. Yeah, heaps of resources, uh, particularly you know over the Christmas break coming up, you might have time. Atomic Habits, a great book. Um, you know Shane Paris's book, also great. So this time of year is a great time to kind of sink your teeth into some of those bigger questions that you might have for the mm. year ahead. Um, our community loves it. 
January is a very, very big month. So is Christmas for us because you can form those habits now. You can set a plan. I'm going to listen for 15 minutes a day for the next month and see how you go after that. Yeah, and you don't have to wait till the 1st of January to form a new habit. Now, I would be willing to bet, I don't have any research on this. Maybe you know some research. I'd be willing to bet the people that start their goal before January 1st actually have more chance of achieving. I don't know if there's research on that. but mm, We'll, have, we'll uh, see if we can find anything, but <laughs> I reckon anecdotally it'd be true. <laughs> yeah, because why wait, right? Like get started today. That's the best thing. Um, okay, well, Kate, this is heaps of fun. Um, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.